good to see you, and welcome to our guests, especially we are glad you are here with us today. It is good to be here with you today. Um, I have a great interest in aviation. My dad uh, was getting his uh, pilot license before World War II in Colorado. He worked at a little airport, and so he always had a love for small aircraft, which I uh, adopted also, a love for small aircraft. And uh, through uh, great privileges, I was able to earn my uh, pilot certificate. And, and in that process, uh, as I read and continue to read about aviation, you know, there are three arms of aviation in our country. There's military aviation, and there's commercial aviation, and uh, then there's general aviation. And, of course, I'm in the general aviation arm. But one of the, the sobering statistics is that general aviation safety record is uh, not too great compared to military and commercial aviation. There are a lot of reasons for that, but a number of years ago there was a series of fatal accidents with small air aircraft, like single-engine or twin-engine aircraft, and it occurred across North America. And one of the uh, manufacturers of these aircraft, Cirrus Aircraft, which is uh, based in Minnesota, did an extensive study of their aircraft that were involved in fatal accidents. And there were some 44, they looked at 44 recent fatal accidents in their aircraft. And uh, as they studied these, a few lessons stood out. Uh, first of all, only one of those 44 fatal accidents could be blamed on the aircraft itself. All of the rest of them were pilot caused. Uh, you know, it's the nut behind the wheel that uh, caused caused the, the, the trauma there. Uh, but surprisingly, uh, the second thing they learned, surprisingly, is experienced pilots were responsible for a majority of those accidents. Uh, a few of the accidents were caused by new pilots with less than 150 hours of flight time, but over 75% of these fatal accidents were caused by pilots who had over 400 or 400 plus hours of flight time. And so what's the lesson there? You would think the more experience one gets, the better pilot you would be, and the more or less likely you would be uh, to be involved in an accident of some type. But apparently what they've decided as they interviewed pilots with high hours and a lot of time was that uh, some of these pilots evidently assumed that they had it all together, they knew what they were doing, and so they started cutting corners on uh, their pre-flight inspection of their aircraft, they started getting sloppy in their air work, as that, that's called, and how they fly the airplane. And what is interesting about this is at the time, Cirrus Aircraft was the only airplane, commercial, or not commercial, general aviation single engine airplane that has a full parachute that will catch the airplane. It's pilot activated. If you get into trouble, you pull the lever, out shoots this gigantic parachute, and you will float down to the ground. Uh, so isn't it interesting that they still had 44 fatal accidents, even with that safety device in that aircraft? And most of the, most of the pilots were high-hour pilots, something about not doing things by the book, not doing things right, and it caught up with them. Uh, sometimes maybe it's overconfidence, sometimes it's the idea that, oh, it'll never happen to me. Perhaps it's uh, not pursuing ongoing safety training, uh, but yet they were four times more likely to have a fatal accident in a small aircraft. You know, uh, sometimes, and I've been a Christian a long time now, uh, 40 years, 
and uh, sometimes I feel like a high-hour pilot, and uh, I think you do too if you've been a believer in Christ for very long, because the tendency is, is to let things go, perhaps even to cut some corners, to get a little sloppy uh, in our understanding of God's Word, and so on. Uh, we slump a little bit and allow our standards, uh, personal standards, to slip, perhaps, our understanding of Scripture, um, not allowing Scripture to do a pre-flight of our heart every day, perhaps. Uh, uh, we go on day after day wondering why uh, perhaps we're losing our zest. Uh, to use aviation terms, we're losing power in the climb, and there's a danger of stalling out. Uh, accidents may be the consequence of thinking we know better. And this is exactly what the Apostle Paul is writing the book of Galatians about. If you take your copy of God's Word and turn to this little letter of Galatians in the New Testament, Galatians is called an epistle, which simply is a letter. He's writing to believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's writing to churches he had planted some six years earlier by the time he, he wrote this. And we'll get into more of the background of this letter as we go along. But today I wanted to do just a real brief overview of the letter of Galatians and to uh, just orient all of us to this letter. It's been a while since perhaps you've been here. I know, I think the ladies did a study in Galatians last winter, and so I'm going to depend on them to keep me on the straight and narrow, okay? Uh, so you, you can do that. But uh, Galatians was written to remedy a very desperate, desperate situation present in the churches of Galatia. And uh, it was to call these early Christians back from the Mosaic Law to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ in his saving power through grace by faith. From legalism to faith, uh, from depending upon their own works to depending upon God's grace. And today I must say that this letter is just as critical. Every era of Christianity, this letter has been critical to the understanding of the gospel of grace, that unmerited favor we find only in Christ, in Christ alone. Galatians forcefully answers the question, are we saved by believing or by achieving? Are we saved by believing or are we saved by achieving? And sadly, in much of evangelical Christianity today, there is a, a modicum of uh, achieving creeping into the message of the gospel. And I see it all the time when I read different books, when I read on the Internet about what is going on in contemporary Christendom. Uh, you know why it's called Christendom, don't you? Because we're a bunch of dumb Christians. So <laughs> we, we don't want to be dumb Christians. And so the Apostle Paul is writing to correct some serious, serious error here. Uh, Warren Wiersbe, in his commentary, in his study on Galatians that's entitled Be Free, writes the following, and I quote Warren Wiersbe, Galatians is a dangerous book. It exposes the most popular substitute for spiritual living that we have in our churches today, legalism. I didn't say among false cults. I said in the churches, because that is where much legalism is today. Unquote. That's Warren Wiersbe's introduction to this book. There is a concept uh, uh, that we will see as we go through the book of Galatians called Galatianism, and that is the concept and the practice of allowing us ourselves to think that we can add to God's grace by our works and our good deeds. 
we're going to see that there were false teachers uh, in this area of Galatia, and uh, they were infiltrating the church. They were infil- infiltrating these new churches around the, the then known world to spread a false gospel, and that was they would say that uh, you can't be saved unless you add components or elements of the Mosaic law to your belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that was in addition to the clear statement of what the gospel is. Galatianism is any action of the flesh which hinders spiritual progress. That's Dr. Charles Ryrie's definition of Galatianism. Galatianism is any action of the flesh which hinders spiritual progress. In Galatians 5, 7, uh, Paul writes, You were running well, but who hindered you from obeying the truth? You were running well. That's progress. He's commending them. You were, you, were, you were growing in your Christian faith, but then who hindered you? That's a reference to the Jewish legalizers, and they're called Judaizers. And so you will hear me reference the Judaizers. Uh, and they are Jewish legalizers. Uh, they're appealing to our flesh, saying, you have to do such and such in order to be a true Christian, that you should obey not the truth. That's the terrible outcome. The Galatians were in severe danger. In fact, if you notice in the first chapter of Galatians, the Apostle Paul, he greets them in a typical uh, first century letter. He identifies himself right up front. Usually we, in the 21st century, we sign our letters at the bottom. Uh, but in those days, in the, day and age, they would uh, identify themselves right off the bat. Paul, an apostle, not sent from men, nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia. And he goes on to say and give this little prayer, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever. Amen. A very typical greeting, and yet uh, it's very brief. It's very curt in his greeting. And then in verse 6, look how quickly he jumps to the chase. I am amazed that you so quickly are deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. And so he gets right to it. This is serious stuff. There's no time for platitudes. There's no time uh, to... uh, to ignore this, he gets right to the chase here. Uh, anything that stems from our flesh and hinders spiritual progress is a form of what we would call Galatianism. In chapter 3, verse 3, Paul asked them, Having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? He argues against that. He says, that, that's not the way this happens. And yet, many Christians today, yes, they would raise their hand, I was saved by grace through faith. I was justified, declared righteous by God. But now, in this part of life, I've got to do all these things according to some man-made law. Anything that stems from the flesh and hindered spiritual progress is a form of Galatianism. You know, we think of when the Bible refers to the flesh, uh, we think it's probably some brute, some enemy that lives within us. It's coarse, rough, hairy, ugly, brute of a person who lives inside of you that's always fighting with your new nature in Christ. Represented, of course, by a tall, handsome person. Uh, the flesh is <clears throat> the capacity to be self-controlled in a negative way. It's the capacity to be uncontrolled by the Holy Spirit, and it encompasses all that has been made old in the presence of the new nature. 
The manifestations of the flesh conceived in this sense are not necessarily in filthy, evil ways, but often approved, but evil ways. This was the case of the Galatians. They were not guilty of grossly immoral sins like the Corinthians were. Other fleshly sins had hindered their spiritual progress. In fact, looking at them, some people would say, oh, you're good Christians because you're doing this and you're doing this and you're doing this. And yet in Galatians 5.1, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. You know, legalism is that appeal to the flesh, and it appeals to our flesh even in this day and age, that somehow I can set up a list or markers which I will prove to myself that I'm a good Christian. And if they are not biblical markers, biblical precepts and principles, for sure, about your acceptance to the Lord Jesus Christ, we are in danger of Galatianism. About A.D. 48, there was a delegation of Judean religious leaders which had came to the predominantly Gentile church in Syrian Antioch. Uh, Now, remember in the New Testament, there are two Antiochs. There is Syrian Antioch and Antioch of Pisidia, which was over in Asia Minor. Syria Antioch was down closer to the Mediterranean Sea, closer to what we would call Israel up in, in Syria there. And that's where the Apostle Paul was headquartered, if you remember. But there were false teachers who infiltrated the church. And there was a conspiracy to undermine the clear, true teaching of the gospel of grace by these emissaries to lie to the daughter churches planted by the Apostle Paul and others throughout the then-known world. Uh, There were fledgling assemblies. Like I said, Paul had planted these churches in his first missionary journey, probably six or seven years prior to writing this letter. He wrote this about A.D. 49, and we'll get into the theories about, because there's the big debate going on through the centuries, is what Galatia is he talking about? There was a province of Galatia, a Roman province, but there was an ethnic part of Galatia, the northern part of what we would call Asia Minor, was North Galatia, and then there was a Roman province after the Romans subdued the Gauls. Actually, Galatia is named for the Gauls who were harassed by the Romans, and they moved out of Gaul over in what is France now, and they moved into northern Turkey, what is Turkey now, or Asia Minor, and uh, these were the Galatians. But when the Romans finally subdued them and took over Asia Minor, uh, the Roman government set up a province of Galatia, which included the south-southern part of Galatia where Paul had planted a number of churches. And so we'll talk about that in upcoming weeks a little bit. But uh, these fledgling assemblies, they were only six or seven years old, functioning churches uh, were in danger, and Paul's response was swift and strong, as it should have been. Uh, I always ask myself the question, especially in theological or doctrinal debates and and all of that, is, is this a hill worth dying on? Uh, What are the things I'm I'm, I'm willing to die for? And uh, like Paul, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the gospel of grace through faith, is a hill worth dying for. Many have shed their blood in martyrdom over the centuries to stand for the true gospel of grace by Jesus Christ. We are justified by faith in Christ because Jesus Christ is faithful in what he has done. This is really, this little letter is really the charter of Christian liberty. 
We're going to see three L words as we move through this uh, little book. We're going to talk about legalism. We're going to talk about our liberty in Christ, but we're going to be warned against licentiousness, okay? Uh, legalism, liberty, licentiousness. We want to make sure we're in the liberty part of our Christian life in Christ. Salvation is by grace through faith plus nothing. What was the impact that this, ch- this little book had on church history? Uh, it's very interesting that in the early church, uh, the book of Acts records the necessary separation of Christianity from Judaism or from the Jewish religion. The book of Acts is a transitional book from the Old Testament to the New Testament, from the Old Dispensation to the New Dispensation, from the nation of Israel to the church. We see that in the book of Acts. It's a transitional book. And uh, in that, Paul's epistle to the Galatians was no doubt, as Merle Tinney said, one of the greatest forces in that separation. The Apostle Paul wrote this soon after uh, the first missionary journey, or six years later, that we see in Acts chapter 13 and 14. In the 17th century, uh, if you're familiar with church history, it was the Protestant Reformation led by Martin Luther and John Calvin and many others. But Galatians was really the masthead of the Reformation, producing revival and a return to the Word of God and the grace of God. Now remember, uh, of course, we come from an Anabaptist background. We don't come from a Protestant background. Some of you come from a Protestant background. Uh, But we really, you know, a Protestant simply means the protesters. And the Protestants under Martin Luther were trying to reform the Roman Catholic Church. And they were protesting what was going on in Rome and throughout the Roman Empire at that time. But the Anabaptists were not protesting anything. Uh, So we were persecuted not only by Rome but also by the Protestants, if you read church history, uh, John Calvin was very, uh, very difficult to deal with if you were an Anabaptist. Uh, just let me say it that way. But anyway, in the Reformation, which was a catalytic event in church history, uh, it catalyzed the Reformation more than any other book of the Bible. Again, Merrill Tenney calls it the cornerstone of the Protestant Reformation. G.G. Finley writes, Martin Luther put it to his lips as a trumpet to blow the reveille of the Reformation. If you read Martin Luther's testimony of when he came to know Christ as Savior, Galatians was key in that understanding because before then, it was the works of the flesh which was going to get him to heaven, if at all. He had no assurance. But when he understood rightly the book of Galatians, he was so impacted that it changed his whole life and changed the course of Christianity in that day and age. And we live with that today. Luther so loved the book of Galatians, he called it his wife. The epistle to the Galatians, he wrote in his commentary, is my epistle. To it, I am, I am as, it were in, as it were in wedlock. It is my Catherine. Catherine von Bora was his wife. Uh, by the way, just an aside, Catherine von Bora was a, a Roman Catholic nun in a convent, and uh, she got tired of Roman Catholicism, and the Reformation was appealing to her and other nuns, and yet they couldn't just leave. And so Martin Luther and some cohorts arranged for them to be spirited out of the convent. And how they did that is the guy who delivered the pickled herring in the barrels every week to the convent, he hid the nuns in the pickled, empty pickle barrels, and he went out. So that's how Martin Luther ended up with Catherine von Bora. And even though we don't, 
So, uh, ladies, uh, be very thankful your husband didn't stuff you in a pickle barrel to get you away from your parents or anything, you know. So that's just, that's free today. That's an aside. So, uh, But uh, Catherine was very instrumental in supporting her husband through the Reformation, through his ups and downs. But the Reformation was, uh, um, uh, Galatians played an amazing part in the book of, or in the Reformation. Uh, today, the gospel of grace is under siege again. It always is, as I said, in every Christian era. And uh, this little book insists that the church will not add works to grace. Salvation is by grace through faith alone, the great uh, call of the Reformation. Uh, the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to set Christians free of the yoke of slavery to works righteousness by defending his apostleship His grace plus nothing message and freedom his message uh, releases the Christians from. The message of the gospel was at stake. It is at stake today. Uh, There are many today who are even in what we would call the umbrella of evangelicalism who are trying to add to the gospel in different ways. And we will talk more specifically about those as we go through this letter. Uh, These Jewish legalizers were teaching that Gentile believers must be circumcised to be saved a work of man. The health of the church at Galatia was, and the Galatians was, was at stake. These uh, false teachers were confusing these relatively new believers, and everywhere their lie was beginning to influence the fledgling churches of Galatia. And the future of the church was at stake. We can praise and thank God that he used the instrument of the Apostle Paul to stand firm for the gospel. Christian liberty, which grows out of being justified, declared righteous in faith, by faith, is essential to the survival and influence of Christians and Christianity throughout the world at all times, in all ages. A brief outline, and it's, it's in your bulletin if you, uh, you want the big chunks. I call it the big chunks. When I study a book or read a book, uh, first thing I do is try to look at the big chunks. You know, it's like uh, we start big and then we, we boil it down to the smaller things. But uh, in chapters 1 and 2, the gospel of grace is defended. Paul defends his apostleship. Evidently, the false teachers were attacking him personally. It's called an ad hominem attack. If you can't attack the concepts and the ideas and what's being taught, then you start attacking the person. And evidently, they were attacking Paul's claim to be an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. That was a major, major thing, and he spends two chapters defending his apostleship and proving that messengers of grace righteousness are true messengers of Christ and nothing that the message of the, nothing, uh, and noting that the message of the gospel is at stake, chapters 1 and 2. Chapters 3 and 4, the gospel of grace is explained. This is what we would call the doctrinal section. Paul teaches us what justification by faith means and why it is true. And so these are rich, rich chapters to understand what God says his requirements for salvation are in the world. The gospel of grace applied in chapters 5 and 6. Paul demonstrates that the full experience and demonstration of the new creation in Christ can only come by grace through faith. So that's just a, a big block or big chunk outline of the book of Galatians. So that I hope that is helpful. Next week, I will have a chart, which will break it down more. And uh, as we go through it, you'll have an understanding, have some handles, if you will, on the superstructure of this letter. Uh, some arguments to notice or themes or major points. Uh, there's a powerful affirmation of liberty based on grace, God's grace, his unmerited favor. There's a prominent assault on the legalism based on works. 
And we're all prone to it, and we're all in danger of that. And there's a bold encouragement for the weak in this, uh, in this book. Advantages to consider or values and qualities we see in the book of Galatians. It warns us against leaving the true gospel of grace through, by faith. Uh, it, it upholds the significance of grace. It presents the true function of the Mosaic law. It provides a needed balance so that our liberty is not abused. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a ditch on each side of the liberty road. One is legalism and one is licentiousness. And uh, that's why there are guardrails, the guardrails of God's word, to keep us and make sure we're safe in the gospel of grace. So arguments to notice, advantages to consider, and thirdly, axioms to observe. An axiom is a self-evident truth or it's a principle that we see here. Uh, first of all, no one is immune from the temptation to drift and desert. And we see that, sadly, within evangelicalism today, those who are drifting away from the faith, embracing another gospel. Uh, secondly, some things are worthy of vigorous defense. That's the hill you die on. <laughs> uh, you know, I won't die on the hill of uh, sign gifts, but I will die on the hill of the gospel. And that's a decision that we make as we go along. And then thirdly, sinners are saved by grace through faith plus nothing. Uh, a saved sinner lives by grace. Grace is the way of life and the way to life. They always go together. So this morning, uh, my purpose was simply just to give us an introduction, if you will, to the book of Galatians. And I'd encourage you to read it. There's some questions on the back of your bulletin insert you can think about uh, this week. Is do some self-evaluation. Uh, and uh, just evaluate where you're at in that. But there's a question. I'll leave you with one question, uh, and this question is this. In order to be a good Christian, I must blank. I must, and you fill in the blank. In order to be a good Christian, I must. What is it for you? Uh, depending how you complete that statement, it emphasizes the profound truth of this old, old story. You've probably heard it before. But there was a traveler from Italy that came to the French town of Chartres to see a great cathedral that was being built. Uh, arriving at the end of the day, the traveler went to the site just as the workmen were leaving for home. He asked one man covered with dust what he did there, and the man replied that he was a stonemason. He spent his days carving rocks. Another man, when asked, said he was a glass blower who spent his days making slabs of colored glass, and still another workman replied that he was a blacksmith who pounded iron for a living. Wandering into the deepening gloom of the unfinished cathedral, the traveler came upon an old woman armed with a broom, sweeping up the stone chips, wood shavings, iron fragments, and glass shards from the day's work. What are you doing, he asked. The woman paused, leaning on her broom. She looked up into the high arches above her. She said, me? I'm building a cathedral for the glory of Almighty God. <laughs> I've often thought about the people of Chartres there, if I'm pronouncing it correctly. They began something they knew they would never see completed. They built for something larger than themselves, and they had a magnificent vision in that. For you and I, as the Lord Jesus Christ, what are we building for the glory of God, and how are we doing that? We need to pay attention to his word, to the book of Galatians in its upcoming weeks. So read it this week. It only takes about 20 minutes about four pages in, in, in uh, my copy of Scripture, and we will continue on this journey together. Freedom's Road. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for each one who is here. We thank you and praise you for your sustaining presence throughout all the uh, generations, all the centuries, Lord. 
Thank you for using the Apostle Paul to stand firmly against the Galatianism, the Galatian error of his day, which is so relevant to us today. Lord, we praise you and thank you for this little letter. And we pray in the days and weeks to come that we would read it, we would understand it, that you would guide us into truth, and that we would be transformed and changed because of this encounter with you and with your word. We praise you and thank you for your faithfulness. In Jesus' powerful name I pray. Amen.